welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Monday the 15th of February 2010, entitled Tying Up a Loose End, and the Bible reading is taken from James chapter 3. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. I want to be an encouragement to you tonight. Uh, pray for me. Uh, I don't know if it was because I slept wrong, because... Uh, Something that took place last night, but man, I feel like somebody's taking a two-by-four to my neck, and uh, so you pray for me. Uh, I, I'm sure it's going to be okay, but uh, I trust and pray that you came with open hearts and, and open ears uh, to listen to what God has for us tonight. James chapter number three, I want you to look at verse number one. James chapter number three, and look at verse number one. The book of James, of course, is an intriguing book because basically what James is saying, and there's been some debate because a lot of people have said, well, James is saying the only way you can be saved is doing good works. Well, that's not what James is saying. What James is saying basically, and Peter's nodding his head because he knows this too. James is saying when you get saved, it's not by good works, but when you do get saved, you will do good works. And it all goes all the way back to the first chapter. And, in, and James was basically saying to the believers there, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, Penos, he says, my brethren. I like the way he starts it out. He says, my brethren, count it all what? Joy when you fall into divers, temptations, or various testings, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have its perfect work or her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and complete, wanting or lacking nothing. So basically what James is saying is this. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. Now don't clap your hands. But if you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. Brother Stevie's saying this. When you're a true believer and you have genuine faith in Jesus Christ, it'll demonstrate itself, number one, and how you respond to trials in his life. See, I believe this, Carl. A saved man will react differently, Brother Downey, than a lost man will based upon his legitimate faith in Christ. But not only that, but he says in chapter 1, verse 13, let no man say, when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. Because God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now, what's that verse saying? That verse basically is saying this. You cannot blame God for your sin. When you're tempted, God didn't send that solicitation to do wrong into your life. Then where does temptation come from? Well, I'm glad you asked me. He said, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. You can't say the devil made you do anything. Alan, when you sin, when I sin, what we've got to do is we've got to say, Lord, it was me. I was tempted. The devil didn't make me do it. I'm tempted when I'm drawn away of my own lust and enticed. So number one, a true believer in Christ will demonstrate his faith in number one, how he responds to trials, but number two, how he responds to temptation. Let me tell you something, folks. I've heard many people say this, and I've said it to Bethel before. When you fall into a temptation, we know a temptation is a solicitation to do evil. We know that's not from God. So what's the Bible say about how we get away from temptation? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, listen, there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Do you know that everybody on the face of this earth has somebody else that's gone through what they've gone through? But the Bible says God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted but that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you can be able to bear it. Now, what God is saying there is this. God will never put a temptation in front of you that He won't make a way for you to, to, to escape from it. 
Now, I've heard a lot of people say this, Lord, I know that you won't put more, more on me than I can bear. There is a Hebrew word for that, and it's called hogwash. God will put more on you than you can bear. You say, why would he do that? Peter, you know what? I've asked God, why sometimes? And I know you have. Steve, I know you've asked God, why sometimes? But do you know what I found out? God, sometimes Tenneca will put us through more than we can bear, so we lean on Jesus. We have to have all the crutches knocked out from underneath us, so we totally depend on His grace and His mercy to get through every trial in this life. Folks, if you're a legitimate believer in Christ, you will demonstrate your faith, Brother Roy, and how you respond to trials, how you respond to temptation, then how you treat people. Don't look there, but in chapter number 2, he says, My brethren, do not have respect to persons like the Lord of glory. Listen, God in heaven is no respecter of persons. I don't care how you look, don't care how you dress, don't care what background you came from, don't care what ethnicity you are. We are all at equal when it comes to the sight of God. And you know what he says? And paraphrasing, he said, you know what? When somebody comes into your midst, we've got a Mr. Middleist over there, the future Beethoven, uh, Beethoven. When a person comes into your midst, Andy, in the church, let's say, for instance, we got somebody that comes into church. And let's say they come in here and they go dressed out like a gothic and they got black fingernail polish, black lipstick, they got long hair, they got ear piercings everywhere. And we look at them and we go, hmm, I don't like the way they're proper. I don't like the way they are wearing their dress. And do you know what we would do? Some of us, if we were honest with ourselves, would say, you know what? You don't deserve to come in here and sit in our church. Hello. And maybe you, maybe you don't feel like that, but I can tell you this. I've looked into the eyes of people that when they saw somebody coming to their church, I know what their heart was saying. You are not dressed properly to sit in our assembly. But do you know what God says? If you tell that person to go and stand in the back, but you tell the guy that wears the designer's best and's got gold rings on his finger, the best watches you can buy, and you say, why don't you sit here in the blessed place in the house and to say to the man that's in poor raiment to stand back there or matter of fact, just sit right here under my feet. He says, you know what? You become judges with evil thoughts. You know what, folks? The problem with people is not the way they dress or the way they look or the way they smell. The problem is they need Jesus. And there's nothing different between that person and me as a preacher of the gospel. We are both sinners in need of the same Savior. And do you know what? If you want to be a true believer in Christ and, and demonstrate your legitimate faith, you'll do it in how you treat people. That's not my message. It's not my message. Let me tell you what my message is. I want you to look at James chapter number 3. He says, my brethren. He says, be, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing this, that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For if, listen, for if, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships which they be so great and are driven of forced winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm. The word helm is another word for rudder. With a very small rudder, whithersoever or wherever the governor listeth or desires. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Look at verse 6. 
And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. That's talking about your tongue. And every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are after the, made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. These things, my brethren, ought not so to be. Now I want to preach a message to you tonight entitled, How to Tie Up a Loose End. How to Tie Up a Loose End. Before I preach, let's go to the throne of grace. Father, you know how difficult a message this is to preach. But Lord, I believe as our people, you need, we need to hear this tonight. So God, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, my strength and my redeemer. And I pray that you meet with your people tonight and help us to leave here less of what we are by nature and more like the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We'll love you and praise you for what you do in our midst tonight because we ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Ladies and gentlemen, do you realize that what you possess inside behind your teeth is one of the most distinguished members of the body of anything that God created amongst His, among His creation? In other words, your tongue distinguishes you in everything that God created. Animals cannot talk, but we as humans can. And folks, I'm here to tell you that we have to understand how important it is that we guard every single day what we say. I want you to look at our text again. Look at verse number 1. He says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, in a day's time, 24-hour period, you will speak almost 30,000 words. 30,000 words. That's enough to fill up one book and in a lifetime a whole library. So I think it's very important how we speak, don't you? I think the Bible has a lot to say about how we talk and how we speak. Somebody has said it this way, Brother Peter, lots of things are open by mistake, but more no, not anything more often than our mouth. I want you to see a few things tonight I want to talk about the tongue. Number one, I want you to see the importance of the tongue. The importance of the tongue. You say, preacher, why is it so important? Because number one, folks, it will be, listen, it will be examined by Christ. Not only here, but there. Brother Downey, our tongue will be examined by Christ. You say, preacher, why do you say that? Look at verse 1. My brethren, be not many masters. What the Bible's saying is this. Don't be too anxious to be a teacher. Why? It says, because we shall receive the greater condemnation. Now, I want all of you to look at me. Anybody that teaches, understand this, that you will be judged on every idle word that comes out of your mouth. Some of us have a bigger sphere of influence. I, as an evangelist, have a sphere of influence. Pastor Downey, you have a sphere of influence that I don't have. Carl, you have a sphere of influence. Tenica, Shelly, you have a sphere of influence in the lives of young people. And you will be judged. It's a sobering, but it's the truth. You'll be judged on every idle word that comes out of your mouth. How many of y'all have ever called up a place and got put on the, uh, the recording and it says, this call may be recorded for quality assurance? Can I say this? Everything you say is recorded in heaven for quality assurance. 
I'm not talking about a few words. I'm not talking about 80% of your words. I'm talking about every idle word. Not only are you going to ju be judged immediately, but you're going to be judged ultimately. You say, preacher, what do you mean? 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that we may give account of what we've done in the body, whether it be good or bad. Somebody asked me one time, how are you going to give an account of something evil at the Bema seat? I thought our sins were forgiven. It doesn't mean evil like we think it means. What it literally means is this, Panos. We're going to give account of what we do after salvation, whether it be worthy or worthless whether it be gold, silver, precious stone, or wood, hay, and stubble. And folks, every word that you speak, Tim, every word that you say, everything that we speak is going to be before the judgment seat of Christ. Folks, we're not only going to be judged immediately. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? He says, I want you to be careful about what God has called you to do. There's some of you in this room, you work with people, and they've not only watched your life, but they've listened to your lips. And if you're not careful, you'll push them farther away from Christ and compelling them to come closer to Him because of the words that you speak. And I'm not talking about four-letter words that are vile per cursings. I'm talking about just cutting remarks and gossip and murmuring and backbiting. It ought not so to be is what He's saying. And folks, I want to ask you something tonight. How's your speech? Are you tying up a loose end? Because I promise you, Brother Tyler, that the tongue is important. Why is it important? Because it'll be examined by Christ. Heard an old newspaper one time that said this. If you don't, listen, they printed this in the headlines of their newspaper one day. If you don't want it printed, then just don't say it. And can I say this? If you don't want to meet it, then just don't say it. Because you'll meet judgment on every word that you speak when you get to glory. Listen, folks, not only will it be examined, the reason it's important is, number one, it'll be examined by Christ, but number two, it exposes your character. Matthew chapter number 12, verse 34. I'll start it and you help me finish it. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Let me say it again. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not only important because it'll be examined by Christ, but number two, it'll be exposed. It'll expose your character. It'll expose your character. Do you realize every time you open your mouth, your heart is on parade? Every time your mouth, is, listen, your mouth is a stage that your heart, that your heart literally demonstrates itself on. And I don't like to quote worldly people, but Socrates, I wouldn't normally quote him, but Socrates said this. He said, speak, friend, so I may see you. You know what? I have found this out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The tongue is an important thing. Why is it important? Because number one, it'll be examined by Christ, but number two, it exposes your character. Have you ever went to the doctor, Brother Peter, and the, the doctor said, stick out your tongue? Ah, what's he doing? Why did he do that? Because I'll tell you something. The tongue not only is an index to your health, but it's an index to your heart. He's ex listen, your tongue is exposed, so it'll, it'll, it'll give an idea of what's inside. How many times have you said, I want to ask you this question, don't, do, don't, don't answer it by a raise of hands. But how many times have you said, oops, I didn't mean to say that. 
Ah, technically, I don't think that's true. How many times have you accidentally spoke Italian, Greek, Spanish, or German? In order for you to speak a language, you've got to know something about it, don't you? Well, let me tell you something. Every time you speak, what you speak is already in here. You know something about what's coming out of here. So, folks, the Bible says, Be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. You say, Preacher, is it that important? I, I promise you that this is one of the most crucial things. If you'll get this cemented in your heart, realize, number one, the importance of your tongue. Number one, it's important. Why? Because it will be examined by the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, it'll expose your character. What's inside is push will come out. But not only the importance of the tongue, but number two, I want you to see the influence of the tongue. The influence of the tongue. Look down in your Bible at verse number two. It says, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Look, look at verse number three. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that, he, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Do you realize, folks, you put a bit in a horse's mouth, 1,500-pound creature, you can take a little bitty bit, put it in his mouth. You can tug on this side and it'll go left. You can tug on this side and it'll go right. 1,500 pounds a horse can be tugged on by a little bitty bit and be turned about. Folks, do you realize that most of the time you don't have a problem with a horse, Brother Downey, until you put a bit in its mouth? You ever, try, you ever tried to break a horse? My wife is a horse lover. She worked with Pasifinos, a Spanish type of horse, when she was a little girl. She used to do dressage. She used to ride them. For, she, and you know what she said? She said, we never had a problem, Peter, when we were combing the horse and brushing the tail out and washing it down. It was when we tried to put the bit in its mouth that it would rear up and it would flare its neck and it would try to get away from it. You know what? That's what the Scripture's saying. If a man can control this, he can control his whole body. We put bits in the horse's mouth. We see a picture of the tongue. Listen, folks, the influence of the tongue is this. It's small, but it's significant. When you write a check, Brother Downey, do you know the smallest, the smallest thing that you write on a check is the decimal point? Smallest thing. But let me tell you something. You put that decimal point on the wrong side of a zero, and you may be broke by morning. It is very important. It's small, but it's significant. And folks, every little word that you say, you don't know how much of a blessing or a blight it could be based upon one little word that you say to somebody. Folks, the influence of the tongue is this. Brother Peter, we see a picture of the tongue. He said, we put bits in a horse's mouth. But look at verse number 4. Behold also the ships which they be so great and are, uh, and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm or rudder, whithersoever the governor listeth or desires. Do you know what, folks? You can turn a 100,000-ton ship around in the sea with a little bitty rudder about this long. And folks, the picture is this. The tongue can direct. But let me say another thing. The, the tongue can defile. The influence of the tongue, Panos, is this. We've got direction of the tongue, but we can see the defiling of the tongue. I want you to look at verse number, verse number 6. 
It says the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. Look at verse number 8. And the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison or the word literally means venom. Folks, can I say this? The tongue is a small member, but it's very, very significant. Back in 1997, Alan, I was driving to a revival meeting. We had just bought a brand new uh, uh, Ford Aerostar van. For about three months, Malcolm, that van was having problems with the transmission shifting. We're driving to this meeting, and Carl, out of nowhere, boom, it stops. I take it to a garage, and we'd had it looked at prior to this. We took it to a garage and found out... Long and short of it, Tim, there was a $6 sensor in there that if it would have been replaced and detected, it would have saved thousands of dollars to the car company that had to replace our transmission. But it wasn't detected. A bad part that cost six bucks cost over thousands and thousands of dollars to fix. Folks, let me tell you something. Every word you speak can either direct or it can defile. Folks, the picture of the tongue, it can direct and it can defile. How many of y'all have heard about toxic waste? Our world is consumed with toxic waste. But can I tell you what God's consumed with? Not toxic waste. He's consumed with toxic words. Verse number 8 says that the tongue is an unruly evil full of deadly what? Poison. The word poison literally means toxic. Toxic waste. But God is interested in whether or not you use toxic words. Be very careful how you speak. In 1871 in Chicago, Illinois, some of you heard about the fire of 1871. Burnt the whole city down. Do you realize that that fire started as a little spark that ignited in a place called the O'Leary Barn? Listen, folks, in a matter of days, 300 people lost their lives. 17,500 businesses were burnt to the ground. Over 100,000 homes destroyed. 5.8 million, they say million dollars at that time, which today would translate into billions of dollars because a little spark was not contained. And I say this, folks, you better be careful what comes out of here because it could start a forest fire among your church, among your home, wherever you live, if you're not careful how every day you guard your tongue. Number one, we see the importance of the tongue. Why is it important? Because it'll be examined by Christ. It exposes our character. We see the influence of the tongue. It can direct, but it can defile. I want you to see not only the, 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 the picture of the tongue, but the power of the tongue. Look at verse number five again. Look at verse number 5. It says, And even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Look down at verse number 9. Or excuse me, verse, yeah, verse number 9. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and there we, therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of the likeness of God. Folks, I want you to look at verse number 9, and the second word is the word what? Bless. The word bless is a word we get from a Greek word which means to give good words. We get our English word eulogy from it. When you give a eulogy at a funeral, you're to speak kind words. I don't know if y'all heard about the story. A guy came to uh, the preacher one day. His, his, his older brother had died. He was a wicked man, drunk, womanizer, beat his kids. And he died, and his brother came to the preacher, and he said, you know, ain't a whole lot you can say good about my brother, but I'm going to tell you, I'll give you $20 if you say something good about him. 
Paid the preacher $20. The preacher got up and he said, here lies Joe Brown. He said he was a wicked man. Said he was a drunk. Said he beat his kids. And said he was a womanizer. Said, but he was a saint compared to his brother sitting over there. <laughs> the word blessed means to give good words. Can I tell you something, folks? Your tongue can be a help or it can be a hurt. Number one, I want you to see the power of the tongue. Number one, I want you to see this, Peter. It can have power to help. Number one, your tongue can challenge. Your tongue can challenge. Job chapter number 16 and verse number 5 says, I will strengthen you with the words of my mouth. I will strengthen you with the words of my mouth. Ladies and gentlemen, do you realize that you have the power to challenge somebody's life with the words that you speak and make them go on for the glory of God? His name was David. He got up to preach his first sermon. He was in such turmoil and did such a terrible job. Halfway through, Peter, he sat down and didn't say another word. The pastor got up and closed the service. Everybody filed by him, Carl. Nobody would shake his hand. They felt embarrassed for him. But one man stuck his hand out. His name was Robert Moffat. He shook David's hand and he said, Son, you can be a powerful tool using the hand of God. You've got great potential. Robert Moffat was a missionary to the interior of Africa. The young man that preached that message that morning was David Livingston. You know who David Livingston is. One of the greatest missionaries that ever walked the face of this earth. They buried his body in Westminster Abbey. His heart is buried in Africa because he said that's where his heart was. And I'm telling you the reason why David Livingston went on and did something for Jesus Christ is because Robert Moffat stuck his hand out and said, Son, you've got potential. Do you understand the power of a word that you could speak to somebody. I'm not trying to put him on the spot, but I thank God for Alan sitting here tonight. I'm going to tell you something, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot, son, but you know what? I'm sure that somebody from Bethel Free spoke a word of encouragement to you, and you're sitting here tonight because of it. Hallelujah. I just want to shake my hanky. Thank God for him. But more importantly, I thank God for the people here that lifted up and encouraged people when they came through here. Folks, you know, you can challenge people with your words. Your words can challenge. Not only that, but your words can correct. You know the word correct in the Bible literally has a, a meaning which means to admonish? To admonish. Now, I'm going to say this, and I'm not trying to be heretical, and I'm just saying this. You don't get a holier-than-thou attitude and go into somebody and say, let me tell you something, you're doing something wrong and you need to get right with God. That's looking down your nose through your spiritual spectacles, if you will, trying to point your finger at somebody else. That's not admonition. That's being a Pharisee. What you need to do is you need to use your words and come along to the side of somebody and say, look, brother, can we go to lunch? I want to talk to you about something. And love them to Jesus. Don't push them farther away. Your words can not only challenge, but they can correct. Do you know there's some people, Brother Downey, that have helped me that didn't even like me? They didn't even, wouldn't even nice to me when they helped me. Give you an illustration. I was driving to a, I was driving to West Virginia about two years ago, Pastor Larry, and I stopped at a gas station about halfway up through Beckley. It's snowing to beat the band. This truck driver come alongside of me, looked like he ain't had a bath in three months, ain't brushed his teeth since he's been born, I know. But he come up alongside me, he said, hey, which way are you going? I said, why? He said, well, there's a 
truck that's jackknifed down there on Highway 16. That's the highway I had to take into the mountain down there into Dixie, West Virginia. He said, you need to take another route. You know I never saw that guy again, but you know what? I think he might have saved my life. You say, you think he was an angel? I don't think he was an angel, but I ain't saying he was a devil either. Do you realize, Steve, that we have the power? That's what the Bible says. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your tongue, your words can challenge, but number two, they can correct. But number three, they can comfort. They can comfort. I love stories about people who, matter of fact, Proverbs 16, 4 says, the tongue, is, uh, the tongue of the wise is health. The tongue of the wise is health. Your tongue can comfort people. I just did a funeral for my 38-year-old cousin. They found her dead of sleep apnea. Y'all know what sleep apnea is, right? She died in her sleep. She stopped breathing. She had many, many difficult problems in her life, mentally and physically. But at 38 years of age, my family, she's on with the Lord. They asked me to do her funeral. I said, can I look around in her notes and see if I find anything I want to use in her eulogy to kind of give the family some encouragement? I found her journal, her daily journal. What I did not realize, Peter, that five years before she went to glory, she trusted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And for five years, save maybe a week of time, she wrote a journal every single day to her Savior. I wish I could stand here amongst a mixed multitude and tell you without tears what she wrote in that journal. But basically, long and short of it was this. She depended totally upon her God to get through her through every single day of her life. And do you know what was a comfort? For me to go into that funeral, brother Pastor Larry, and be able to read words that she wrote herself that said she was going to heaven. She wasn't afraid to die. And do you know what? I could encourage and comfort through words to my family because... I'm here to tell you, if you're not careful, you could be the impetus that the devil uses to discourage somebody from serving Jesus Christ. Or you could be the impetus that God uses to help them go on for the glory of God. Thank God for some Robert Moffats in this life. Thank God for Pastor Larry and his encouragement to this preacher. Thank God for the people at Bethel Free Baptist Church for encouraging our family to keep going on for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Don't stop. Use your words as a benefit and not a blight to people. Your words can challenge. Your words can correct. Your words can comfort. I know I've used him many, many times, but Pastor Voss was just a dear friend of mine. You know what's amazing to me, Pastor Larry, is you can go into a place like a hospital and you can go in there to try to be an encouragement to somebody and you leave there more encouraged than you went to be one. You ever been there? I went into Pastor Voss's hospital room about a month and a half before he went to be with Jesus. Pastor Voss couldn't hardly pick his head up off the bed and he looked over at me and said, Brian, come over here. He said, and matter of fact, he said, sit here in the humble seat. Now let me explain what the humble seat was. Y'all ever been to a hospital where you can't get out of bed just enough to get out and then you've got to have somewhere to, to relieve yourself? It's a little toilet seat and you sit there and you use the bathroom. Well, he said, let me just flip the lid down. You sit here on the humble seat. Well, that make you awful humble to sit there on the toilet talking to your pastor. And you know what he did? He said, Brian, I want to give you a sneak preview where I'm going. 
Folks, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know anybody on this side of heaven that was more ready to go to heaven than Pastor Phil Voss. I don't know anybody. Here's a man who's getting ready to take his last breath. He don't know if he's going to live to the next day. And he says, Brian, I want to give you a sneak preview to where I'm going. He opened his Bible up and he read as I held it out. He read the words, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth will pass away and there was no more sin. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a voice out of the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more sorrow, neither death, nor crying. Neither, Carl, shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And the one that sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. You want to know what that did to me? His words comforted me. I am convinced of this, folks. It is not how you live on this earth. It is how, Roy, you die. And he died well. And folks, I want to ask you something tonight. Are you using your words to help or to hurt? See, folks, your words can challenge. Your words can correct, but your words can comfort. But I'd be remiss if I didn't warn you about some things that your tongue could do. James says your tongue is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Your tongue, listen, has the power not only to help Steve, but it has the power to hurt. How can it hurt? Well, your tongue can curse. Look at verse number 9 again. The Bible says, There we bless we God, therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith what? Curse we men. Now look up at me. A lot of people think cursing only is this using vulgar, four-letter words, raunchy, filthy language. Can I tell you what the word curse means? It goes all the way back to the Old Testament when David was in the valley of Elah and he was fighting Goliath. And David said, I don't come to you with a sword and a spear and a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he said, come on! And do you know what Goliath did? Goliath looked at him and said, you got to be kidding me, son. You're 14 and a half years of age, ain't even shaved yet, and you come to me a 10 and a half foot giant champion from the, from the Philistines, and you're going to... He said, am I a dog that you'd say, come on, boy, come on. And it said he cursed David by his gods. You know what the word curse means? It means to make someone small. And you know what? I'm not trying to pinpoint anybody's life, and I'm not trying to scratch where you might itch, but I'm telling you this. I guarantee you every single one of us in this room have made somebody look small sometime in the near past. Listen, but more importantly than that, your tongue can curse. You say, preacher, what do you mean curse? Not just to make one small, but to use vulgar language. Let me just go ahead and say this, and I'm not trying to meddle or be a legalist. I get about had it up to here with seeing these kids when their little, their little uh, the text messages going, OMG, OMG, OMG. You know what that is? That's using God's name the wrong way. God's name is not to be profane. God's name is to be praised. I'll give you another one. Gee, gosh, 
You look it up in a dictionary. I'm not a legalist. The dictionary says G is a derivative of Jesus. And if you're not using it to praise and using it to profane, you are cursing God. I'm just throwing it out there. Don't mean to hurt your feelings, but I want you to love Jesus and hate your sin. Our tongue can curse. But number two, I want you to look at this. Not only can our tongue curse, but our tongue can crow. You say, preacher, I know you like to alliterate everything, but crow. <laughs> Your tongue can crow. You know what the word crow means? It means to brag. It means to brag. I wonder how many of you have ever come out of an exam from uni and went, boy, look what I did. Aced a thing. Can I say this, folks? Jeremiah chapter number 9, verse 23 and 24 says this. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his strength. Do you get out and want to bulge your, uh, your muscles and look like Popeye's first cousin? Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But brother Ron, let him that glorieth glory in this that he understandeth and knoweth me. You know, I've had a lot of people in this room come up to me in years past and say, you know what, that was one of the best messages I've ever heard. You know what I ought to say every time somebody says that to me, preacher? I ought to say, God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you ace that test at uni, when you get a, 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 a straight A's on your report card, when you sing a special and somebody comes up and pats you on the back and says, man, I'll tell you what, that blessed my blesser. And I tell you, it's one of the best songs I ever heard. You ought to say, God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your tongue can curse. Your tongue can crow. Your tongue can be contentious. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, building up, encouraging one another that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Have you ever known anybody that just likes to argue? Don't throw no hymnals at me, please. Have you ever been around somebody that just wants to argue? They've always got to be right. I mean, I know people at panels, you drive up to a stop sign in America and say, S-T-O-P, stop. And they'd go, no, that's P-O-T's pots. I mean, they always got to disagree. And I think God's had it up to about here, Carl, with us trying to be right about everything and condemning those that don't line up with us in every single area and saying, you know what? We're right and you're wrong because you know what? We might win the argument. Well, Bill, lose a friendship over it because of the words we speak. God help us to speak words that will help and not hurt. Your tongue can curse. Your tongue can crow, brag. Your tongue can be contentious. Your tongue can complain. Hello? <laughs> Your tongue can complain. You know what I call it? Now, I don't mean to meddle again. I call it Israelite-itis. You know what the Israelite, I know I make words up here all the time. Somebody brought that up, and I think even somebody's keeping a journal of how many words I make up. But Israelite-itis, write this down. This is the definition of it. Complain, complain, complain. That's the Beaver Dictionary, dictionary and Thesaurus. 
of, 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 of Israelitis. You say, preacher, what do you mean? They came out of bondage, get into the wilderness. They're singing praises to God and just shouting the victory. And about three verses into it, Brother Downey, they say, Man, I'm thirsty. God gives them water out of a rock. Man, I'm hungry. And God gives them multivitamins out of heaven called manna. Man, that ain't good enough. I want meat. And God flies in quail. <laughs> until it comes out their nostrils and they still complain, complain, complain. I, calls it, I call it Israeliteitis. And if you don't think I know what I'm talking about, Numbers chapter 11 verse 1 says, And when the people complain, it displeased the Lord. I wish you could go with me to Honduras. Four years ago, I met a group of people that built a church, Brother Downey, 25 years ago, and until eight years ago, didn't even get a pastor. And they built a building so God would send them a pastor, and they didn't have one for almost 20 years. Well, I don't like my church. Our pastor preaches too long. I can't believe this. I'm telling you, that girl, I'm t why in the world she were... I'm getting so tired of people complaining about what God's given them. You don't... You ought to go to a foreign country, taste some of the food, that people have to eat when they don't have nothing. You're going to see a little bit of it, Shelley. You're going to see a little bit of it. We sit around and complain and complain. I'm going to be honest with you. I can last about seven seconds in a room with somebody that's always complaining. I don't want to be around them. Be careful for nothing but in everything give thanks. I'm telling you folks, we've got to learn to give thanks unto God in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. It's time for us to stop complaining. Your tongue can, listen, it can, it can curse, it can crow, it can be contentious, it can complain, but number four, five or whatever number I'm on, it can criticize. Your tongue can criticize. Y'all heard a story about a fellow in the Bible named Korah. You know what Korah's name means? Hell and ice. And it, it, the big storm was brewing above his head. He came to the leader Moses and he said, Moses, we're just as holy as you are. Well, Moses got word from the Lord. He said, you go out there and meet him. Korah met with his censors. They got out there, long and short of it. God said, stand back, I'll take care of your critics, Moses. He opened the world, the earth up. All of Korah and his sons and all the people fell through and shut it up. And God said basically this, all right, who else has any more questions? Don't you be critical. Don't you be critical of anybody. Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. That means that, you know what? And I just read a verse out of Ephesians that said, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the what? Hearers. Be very careful in this highly technological uh, uh, society we live in. Everybody's on cell phones. And you know what? I guarantee you that when you're talking about somebody on the phone, you may not know anybody around you, but they're listening to what you say. How in the wide world would you like the rapture to take place right at that moment and you're standing before Jesus Christ and the person beside of you that you didn't even know from Adam's house cat 
is standing before heaven and before the beam of seat too, and they look at you and go, did I just hear you talking about sister so-and-so that way on the phone? Let me tell you how influential your tongue is. It can direct and it can defile, but I'm going to end with this. I want to talk about the independence of the tongue. The importance of the tongue, the influence of the tongue, but the independence of the tongue. Look back at verse number, I'll be done in just a second. Look at verse number 8. Look at verse number 8. And the tongue can no man tame. You say, well, preacher, how can it have independence if no man can tame it? I'm going to give you some encouragement tonight. The most dangerous animal in the world is not in the zoo, it's in you. Called this, the tongue. You say, well, preacher, how do you have independence? How do you get liberty? How do you get set free from having a bad time? You know what? I'm talking to somebody tonight, and you're struggling with the way you speak. You're struggling with your speech. You say, well, preacher, can I have deliverance in that area? Yeah, you can. How do you do it? Number one, confession. Confession. That if thou shalt confess with, the Lord Jesus, with, the, with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... You've got to confess. That means you agree with God that you've got a bad tongue. You've got a lying tongue. You've got to be honest before God. But not only confession, but consecration. Psalm chapter number 19 verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength and my Redeemer. you not only got to have confession, but you've got to have consecration. That means God gave you a tongue. It's your job to give it back to Him. Give it to Him. But not only that, but you've got to have concentration. Now, I know I'm going full circle to what I talked about yesterday, but you know what? You need it. It's obvious I need it. You've got to have concentration. You say, preacher, what do you mean? You know, one, you want to know the reason you talk wrong? It's because you think wrong. Say it with me. You talk wrong because you think wrong. You talk wrong because you think wrong. We've got to get a hold of this fact that we can confess it, we consecrate it, but we've got to concentrate and meditate on the things that God wants us to say and not what our flesh wants to when it's squeezed hard enough. Concentration. I'm done with this. James says, it, The tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil. Now, I don't know if you know what that word unruly evil, those two words mean, but it literally means a pacing evil. It means like a caged animal, the tongue is waiting to get out of the cage, like a tiger is waiting for the door to open up and get out. And if you're not careful, your tongue can get out if you don't keep the cage shut. But then, Malcolm, it says this, it's full of deadly poison. Another word for poison, venom. How many of you know when a snake, when a snake bites something, for instance, a cobra or a rattlesnake or a, 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 a I don't know, a, a moccasin, a water moccasin in America, when it strikes, it's got fangs on it. That, that, that serpent or that snake has fangs or teeth, and those fangs or teeth look like surgical needles. They're beveled on one side, and they've got a hole in them that shoots the venom out of the teeth. And when it bites into its prey, it puts a paralysis on it and ultimately kills it. Now, can I say this, folks? In the snake's anatomy, 
The venom comes out of the teeth. But in a human anatomy, the venom comes out the tongue. How can I get delivery of it? Confession. Consecration. Concentration. A lot of times we talk wrong because we think wrong. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to give you just a few minutes to think about this with me. Maybe Miss Shelling move the piano if she could. I want to ask you tonight, are you saved by the grace of God? Do you know if you die tonight that you'd go to heaven? There's not a shadow of a doubt in your mind if you were to perish tonight or something would have happened to you, you'd be in heaven and you could raise your hand right now that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you're born again. You can raise your hand right now. Once you put it up, you can put it down. God bless you. Is there somebody in here be concerned enough to say, Preacher, I don't know whether or not I'd go, but I want to. And I want you to pray for me. Is there anybody like that? Would just slip your hand up and then put it back down. Pray for me, preacher. I'm not sure that if I did, I would, but I want to. All right. Once you put it up, you can put it down. I'm praying for you. Is there somebody else in here that would be honest enough to say, you know what, preacher, I've had struggle with my tongue. I've had a problem with my speech. Not that I talk like a sailor, but I've made others small. And they may not even know it, but I do and God does. And I want you to pray for me that God would help me in this area about my tongue. And I want you to just lift me up and ask God to give me boldness and give me deliverance in this area. Say, preacher, pray for me. Anybody like that? Once you put it up, you can put it down. Hands all over. Thank you for your honesty. For those that raise their hand, they're not sure. Tonight it says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you can be saved. That's all you got to do. Father, in Jesus' name, before Pastor Larry comes, I want to lift these up to you. God, give them, to, give them victory. Help them not be a victim. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to realize the importance of the tongue, the influence of the tongue. It can direct, but it can defile. But the independence of the tongue, we can be set free and not be in bondage based upon what we say. I pray that you'd help the believers in this room to get a hold of the fact that they need to consecrate their tongue and their lips and their words back to you and ask you to speak through them. And we'll be careful to love you and praise you for what you do in our midst because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.